Well, turn your Bibles. Turn your Bibles to Psalm 134. 134. Otter, if you can advance us there. Uh, we are looking at uh, and finishing today Psalm 134. Three short verses, short on words, but big on worship. And uh, we've been looking at this, and together these two psalms, remember Psalms 133 and 134 go together. In fact, some commentators have studied these two psalms, and they say, you know what, Psalm 33 doesn't have an ending, and Psalm 34 doesn't really have a beginning, an extended beginning. And I think that's because they belong together. They have one message, witness our unity. As we worship His majesty on the way to our journey to joy. And we said Psalm 133, witness our unity as His gathered people. But what do we gather to do? We worship His majesty in His glorious presence. And so that's what we want to be talking about and that's what we have been talking about. Well, look at Psalm 134. Let's read it again. It stands out. It's short. It says, Lord, five times. It says, bless Three times, let's read it. Psalm 134. Bless the Lord, all all servants of the Lord, who serve by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands to the sanctuary and bless the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion, He who made heaven and earth. It's as though He's saying, there you go, get after it. Let's go, let's do it. Um, So, Last week we only got to the first one. We'll finish the next two. Here they are. What does it mean to worship His majesty? How do we worship the majesty of His glorious presence? And how long do we do it? Last week we looked at what does it mean to worship the majesty of His glorious presence. We said there was at least four things in this psalm. And the first one is this. You stand, which means serve, in His holy presence. And I really want you to grab that. In the sense that it's the whole person. When I stand in someone's presence, it's all of me. It's all of me that's there, the whole person. And you're standing ready, ready to serve the Lord in light of His sacrifice for us. Secondly, we saw surrender. We stand there in surrendering with a surrendered heart to His majestic power. Now we're going from the whole person and we're looking at the heart and the will. The heart and the will is surrendered, surrendered to the Lord as a living sacrifice. I can't help but think of Romans 12, 1 and 2. Present your bodies, there's the idea of standing, as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto Him, which is your reasonable act of worship. I like what A.W. Tozer, I'm going to share a lot of Tozer quotes. If you want to read someone that understood worship, A.W. Tozer, a uh, a preacher in the early 1900s, and uh, never educated, never went to seminary, Bible college, and yet he knew God. And here's what he said, Worship is no longer worship when it reflects the culture around us more than the Christ within us. And that's really what's going on today. We have a lot of so-called worship that reflects more of the culture around us than the Christ within us. And that's where it begins. All worship begins with that surrenders. Third, sing, shout, speak, whatever. It's verbalizing, singing, shouting, speaking, His glorious praise. Now what is in the heart 
comes out of the mouth. Okay, so we stand holy in his presence with a surrendered heart. And from that surrendered heart comes out of our mouth and with emotion. Worship is emotional. It's not just the mind. It's not just the heart. It's both the mind and the emotion singing to the Lord and to one another, which the Bible says such singing and such speaking of praise is our spiritual sacrifices. We don't sacrifice animals anymore. Christ is our sacrifice. But we come to still offer up a gift to him. And the greatest gift, one of the greatest gifts that you can give to him is the sacrifice of praise in song, in speech, and even even shouting. I like, again, what Tozer says. If your life does not worship God, your lips do not worship God either. And again, he says, no man gives anything acceptable to God until he has first given himself in love and sacrifice. The fourth way we looked at last week, how what does it mean to worship the majesty of the God's glorious presence? Share his gracious promises. So again, now we're not only just uplifting and speaking to God, but worship always erupts into witness. Okay, one of my greatest burdens is for myself, you and for our church is that when we leave, the last thought we should have leaving this church is that our worship should now become a sharing of the great promises of God, sharing of the greatness of God in our witness during the week. We'll talk a little bit more about that. So what does it mean to worship the majesty? of His glorious presence. All that in one sentence. Here you go. To serve with a surrendered heart that sings, shouts, and speaks in order to share His gracious promises with one another and all peoples for the fame of His name. So that's what Psalm 134 is calling us to do. But we have a second question we want to get to today, and it's this. How? How do we worship the majesty of His glorious presence? Well, There's a lot you could teach on from the Bible. We're looking at Psalm 134, so let's look at it. Here it is. Three simple steps. Show up, sing out, kneel down, lift up. That's how you do it. How do you do it? Show up, sing out, kneel down, and lift up. Kind of sounds like an exercise class, right? January, exercise month. You know, Jonathan Jonathan goes to the gym. He said, man... He tweeted out, man, it's packed. You know, I said, give it a month. You'll be fine. Give it a month, right? Well, this is soul exercise. Worship is soul exercise. So let's look at it. The first thing we do in how do we worship is we show up together at His place. We show up together at His place. Now, remember, place is very important to the Lord. Not so important to us in our culture. Place. Well, with technology, I can be anywhere, do anything, any place I want. But it's still important to show up together at His place. Remember, the ultimate goal of our journey to joy, this time you should be able to say it with me, is that God's people would gather in God's place to worship God's presence. God's presence dwelling with God's people in God's place. Now... It's interesting, these two psalms. Look back at 133. Um, In the New American Standard, both psalms begin with the command, Behold. And we've talked several times about that. 
Sadly, one of the, the, the weaknesses of the NIV translation is it loves to omit these kind of words in their translation. Now, I'd love to sit down with one of these scholars and say, why in the world do you do that? Because, you know, it's one thing to make a translation easy to read. It's another thing to ignore words, especially these commands that come at the beginning. It's in the whole, these two verses, the first key to connecting these two psalms together is they both begin with the same word. NIV doesn't even show up at all. Now, there's different ways to translate these words. And if you have an English standard version, ESV, in Psalm 133, it says, Behold, which fits with this idea. Look at this gathered unity. But they translate the in Psalm 134, that word behold, they transit, translate it as come. And that's, and, and that's kind of the idea. Look, behold, look how God's people are gathered in unity. Now, behold, come and worship His majesty in his place. So that's the idea. So let's say, uh, let me say a couple things. I sat and thought about this idea of coming to God's place. It's, again, it's becoming less and less priority, even among professing Christians. So I wanted to give you a couple points, a couple applications. The first is this, and, and here's how I'm going to talk about it, because this, this helps me, maybe it will help you. I think of congregational worship or corporate worship as gathered worship. And then there's scattered worship. Scattered worship is what we all do during the week. I hope you do that. I do that. I hope you do that, that we are scattered and we worship. So we don't just worship one time a week, right? So it's gathered worship and it's scattered worship. And both are biblical. So let's look at it. First of all, both gathered worship on Sunday and scattered worship during the week are vital to true worship. In other words, true worshipers will commit to both gathered worship and scattered worship. And people get off on both of these. Okay, so some people become uh, legalistic on one side by saying, hey, they so emphasize gathered worship, you would think that if you're not in a church building, you're not worshiping. Right. But other people get equally legalistic on the more liberal side of it and say, I don't need to go to church. And I've had people say this to me, professing Christians. In fact, one lady was a part of our church and drifted away and, and showed up again one side. Hey, where you been? Missed you. I haven't seen you. Well, you know, I don't have to go to church to worship. I said, well, that's that's a nice opinion you have there, but it's not biblical. You do. And needless to say, she moved on and, and ended up in a Unitarian church. And I don't know where she's at now. Because here's the idea. Listen, you know, someone says, I can, I can worship God out in a field. Guess what? You can. But that's not gathered worship. And that's not true worship as in a balanced way. So let me give you a couple things after that. Both scattered worship and gathered worship are the overflow of one another. And here's my point. That, um, that you, you just can't do one without the other. If you're truly worshiping on your own, then you're gonna, that overflows into worshiping with God's people. And if you're truly worshiping with God's people, that overflows into worshiping alone during the week. Let me give you some Tozer quotes. I have one there in your notes. If you will not worship God seven days a week, you do not worship Him one day a week. 
And here's another one. 100 lit religious persons knit into unity by careful organization do not constitute a church any more than 11 dead men make a football team. So here's the idea. You can have Psalm 33, a unified, gathered group of people, but if you have, don't have Psalm 34, them worshiping unto the Lord, a living worship, then you don't have true worship. Tozer again said, Go to church once a week and nobody pays attention. Worship God seven days a week and you become strange. See, that's where the witness becomes. I go to church. Oh, you're religious. No, I go to worship God who I worship all throughout the week and they see it in your life. Both of these, gathered and scattered, are fuel to one another. Here's the thing. Your scattered worship, your individual worship, wherever you're living, wherever you're working, wherever you're going to school, during the week prepares you for gathered worship. The more you worship the Lord during the week, the more eager and prepared you are to worship Him here. Amen? Have you noticed that in your own life? Okay. I mean, when I'm cold to the Lord during the week, guess what? Yeah, Ladies, you ever try to work on a stove? Which is it easier to cook on? A cold burner or a warmed up one well you know a lot of times we're trying to lead people in worship that are cold all during the week and they're about ready to worship god when we're ready to go home at noon you know but you ought to come hot on fire because you're worshiping the lord during the week and our gathered worship should move us to scatter and worship the lord during the week because let's face it we all sometimes come cold or hurt, or distant, or drifting. You know, don't, you know, I'm not saying don't leave here. Oh, if I'm not hot on fire, I can't come to church. No, no, no. Because what happens when a coal is isolated from the fire pit? What happens to it? It gets cold. It dies out. How do you get that coal hot again? All you got to do is move it into the fire pit and it gets around the other coals. That's what we're, that's what corporate worship, that's what gathered worship should do. It should heat us up so that we go out of here saying, man, I love the Lord and I love lost people and I love God's people. I just want to share it during the week, wherever I'm at. Second principle is this. Second, gathered worship on Sunday is a preview of coming attractions in the coming kingdom and the new Jerusalem as it comes down. So people that discount, if we were to discount gathered worship, we're discounting the movie, the main attraction of eternity. Basically, people that say, "Hey, I don't want, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't need gathered worship. I don't need the local church," are basically saying, "I don't want to go to heaven." Because you know what we're going to do at heaven? There, there's not going to be isolated fields for everybody to go worship together. There's not going to be fishing holes. There's not going to be golf courses for everybody to say, well, I've, I worship the Lord on the golf course. I worship the Lord when I fish. I worship the Lord in the tree, deer stand. Well, that's great. But in, in heaven, we're going to be gathered in the new Jerusalem. It's going to come down here on the earth. And we're going to be with a whole bunch of people doing what we do here in gathered worship. And if you don't like it here, you're, you're not going to like it any better there. Sadly, gathered, well, let me, so I, I thought about this. I said, okay, what's the Bible say about this? What's the Bible say about this? You know what I got thinking? The entire New Testament is delivered to gathered people. It's not to isolated people. 
to the churches, to the church in Ephesus, to the church in Philippi, to the churches. You say, wait a minute, what about the letters to Timothy, Titus, and Philemon? Yes, there are out of the whole uh, New Testament, there's only four letters to individuals. But do you know that the end of all those letters, there is a plural, greet all, the, greet one another, greet the church. Even the personal letters to these men were expected to be read to the gathered church. Sadly, though, too many times, gathered worship is increasingly getting the leftovers of our time, our energy, and our talents. It's becoming less and less a priority, even among professing Christians. Here's what Tozer in his book, The Crucified Life, here's what he said about this. Too often, we give God only the tired remnants of our time. If Jesus Christ had given us only the remnant of his time, we would all be on our way to that darkness that knows no morning. Christ gave us not the tattered leftovers of his time. He gave us all the time he had. But some of us give him only the leftovers of our money and of our talents and never give our time fully to the Lord Jesus Christ who gave us all. Because he gave us all, we have what we have. And he calls us as he is so are we in this world. Listen, if you want to learn more about worship from another worshiper, you want to read the books of A.W. Tozer. Here's the third observation under this idea of uh, gathered and scattered. Third, gathered worship necessarily occurs in a designated place, even though the church is people and not a building. Gathered worship always occurs in a designated place. All I'm saying to you is that the first way we worship God is we got together in his place. And I looked up in the book of Acts because I knew this was important. You realize in the book of Acts, the idea of gathering together is mentioned at least eight times regarding the church. They were just always gathering. And when they gathered, what did they do? They prayed, they sang. They worshiped. They took the Lord's Supper. They did the things that you do when you worship. And in 1 Corinthians 11, it's very interesting. Uh, 1 Corinthians 11, two times in that chapter, as well as 1 Corinthians 14, a whole section of Corinthians about local church worship. Here's what Paul says. In 1 Corinthians 11, 17 through 18, he says this, But in giving this instruction, I do not praise you, because you come together gathered worship, not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that divisions exist among you. Then he says again in 1 Corinthians 14, 23, therefore, if the whole church assembles together, you say, well, what's the big deal with that? I want to show you the balance. Do you realize we're the church, whether we're gathered or scattered? It says when the church gathers together in other words we don't we aren't we do not we we are not only glenwood baptist on sundays we're glenwood baptist church all during the week wherever we are what a great reminder for all of us when we're surfing on the net when we're tweeting emailing working playing studying we're representing and we are the church but 
there are certain times when that scattered church comes together, the church. We don't suddenly become a church, we just become identified. It's essential to worship and witness when we come together to worship. Do you realize that even the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ is called gathering together to him listen to first listen to second thessalonians 2 now we request you brethren with regard to the coming of our lord jesus christ and our gathering together to him listen again people that profess christ and say well i don't need gathered worship well are you going to when the rapture happens what are you going to do no i'm not into gathered worship i prefer to be isolated and alone no we're going to be gathered together to him isn't that beautiful That's what we're looking forward to, and that's what we're talking about. So the first thing is to to show up together in His place. Here's the second way we worship. We sing out together with His people. We sing out together. We show up to sing out, to speak out, to shout out. I don't care whether it's singing, shouting, or or speaking. Now, I love to lead our congregation in a holy shout. I read that in the Bible one time, and I said, well, you know what? We can do that. It's a little odd in American culture. Why? Because our worship is so isolated and individualistic, isn't it? But you know what? I hope I'm not the only one that gets blessed when we shout like that. One, two, three. Praise the Lord. Well, wait a minute. Wow, okay. Let's do it. It's corporate, though. Let's do it together, all right? One, two, three. Praise the Lord. One, two, three. Praise the Lord. Okay, now that's that's speaking. Let's do shouting this time. One, two, three. Praise, Praise the Lord. Man, Emmanuel, you're good. You got to be our lead shouter. You're our lead shouter. No, it's great. Listen, when the congregation is gathered and we shout like that, it's just good. And there's power. Listen, and we don't, again, I think Americanized Christianity misses so much of this. You've got to go back to the Bible. You've got to see everything in the context of the Bible. Do you realize the shouted praise of his people are power is powerful in spiritual warfare? It brought down the greatest human-built fortress in the Bible, the walls of Jericho. Don't underestimate the power of God's people gathered in worship. And singing out and shouting out. You know, it's very interesting that as we end Psalm 134 today, Psalm 135 and 136, look at them. They are greatly extended psalms. These are no longer psalms of ascent. They do not begin with a heading that says a psalm of ascent. Rather, look at Psalm 135. It begins, praise the Lord, praise the name of of the Lord. Praise him, O you servants. Look at Psalm 136. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Give thanks, give thanks, give thanks, for his loving kindness is everlasting. For his loving kindness is everlasting. Repeated, repeated, repeated. These two Psalms that follow Psalm 134 are called the great Hallel Psalms, which is Hebrew for the great praise Psalms. And the point is this, once Psalm 134 gets you to Zion, once your journey to joy has arrived at God's presence, dwelling with God's people in God's place, you erupt in praise. Isn't that cool? These Psalms are put together by the Holy Spirit for a reason. 
We have ascended from Psalm 20, 120 up to 134. Now we're here. You know, we've said, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Now we're here. What do we do? We've shown up. It's time to sing out. Amen. Okay, Todd, I'm trying to help. I mean, if there, if, I mean, it ought to be loud up there today. Okay, I'm doing my best. Give God the rest. I won't do that again. Okay. Besides, Kim's not here to appreciate it. Okay, let's go. Now, how do we do this? How do we worship His majesty? Show up together in His place. Secondly, sing out together with His people. And the third step is this. Kneel down and lift up together in His presence. Kneel down and lift up together in His presence. See, again, it's always about God's people in God's place, in God's presence. I want you to leave this series having that in your mind because that's the essence of worship. Now, let's go again to Psalm 134. Look at verses 1 and 2 so you can see, kneel down and lift up. Bless the Lord. Behold, bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord who serve by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands to the sanctuary. There's the lift up and bless the Lord. And we said that that word for blessing is rooted in the idea of kneeling. And so we're kneeling down and lifting up. Well, here's what I want to talk about under this point. I want to talk about posture in worship. Again, something we don't talk a lot about. But if you look through the psalm, just I, I, I would challenge if you want something to do for your devotional life, read through the psalms, get you a legal pad, and write down all the physical postures related to worship, all the, act, the bodily activity related to worship. So let's talk about some of them. First of all, we said this idea of serving is, is also the idea of standing. So what does standing represent? Standing shows reverence and readiness to serve. It's, it's, it's like the butler. It's like the maid. It's like if you watch Downton Abbey, all the servants were always standing around. Not bored, not, not idle. What were they standing to do? Always eager and ready to do what? To serve, to hear whatever. And, and, and not only hear, but it was like this. You know, just little, just the slight, you were, you were attentive. You were always watching. And the master of the house should mere, would only have to motion in the slightest way. And because you were standing ready to serve, you'd respond. And that's what we should do. So let me, let me say something. Uh, this might be a gentle reminder for us. Uh, probably the, the one place that we, you know, we stand. Okay. Sometimes we just look at that pragmatically and functionally. Well, they've been sitting too long. Let's get them standing. Well, they've been standing too long. It's time to sit. Well, that's important for worship because we want focused worship. Amen? Okay, if, 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 if the bottom's dead, so's the mind, you know. If the bottom's gone to sleep, so's the mind. You know, if the feet are hurting, the mind's distracted, we get that. But one time that we really stand uh, intentionally and communicate that in our worship is for the reading of God's Word. And I would challenge you, in light of what we've studied the last two weeks, that when we stand for God's Word, it's not merely to honor a book that's being read, as important as that book is. I want you to start thinking that when I stand at the reading of God's Word, I'm standing as a servant that's saying, Speak, Master, your servant is ready to hear. Amen? So we're not just standing because it's a holy book, which it is, but we're standing ready 
to respond to what we hear. Kneeling. Kneeling. What does kneeling show? It shows humble submission, as does bowing our head, as does closing our eyes. It's saying, look, I am dependent. I tell you what, when we get in the presence of the glory of God, I think there's going to be a lot of shut eyes and bowed heads because we're going to be overwhelmed by His greatness and our lowliness. Now, sadly, we've surrendered this posture to who? We've surrendered this posture to Roman Catholics. We've surrendered it to other denominations that utilize a kneeling bench. You know, maybe that's something we need to bring back. Maybe we need to, you know, raise some funds and and equip our pews with kneeling benches. We don't kneel enough. And I know for me, when God really gets a hold of my heart and I respond to the Word of God, I want to kneel. I want to kneel. Of course, we can get real pious and religious about kneeling, can't we? And here's the reality. If I don't kneel in private, I don't need to kneel in public. Are you with me? You know, in Baptist uh, uh, practices of worship, the altar can the altar could become you know a real place of pride. And oh, look at me! Listen, if you're not kneeling at home ever in the presence of the Lord, you don't need to kneel in public, right? And sadly, some people they they want an altar call so they can watch other people kneel. We need an altar call. Okay, we'll have one next week. You have one next week, and they don't show. And so, again, those reveal personal issues. Are you with me? I want to kneel in public. I never do it in private. I want other people to kneel in public. I don't plan to, but I think everybody or other people ought to. Okay, enough of that. Lifting hands, heads, and eyes. Sometimes the most worshipful thing you can do And the most dependent thing is not bow your head and close your eyes. It's lift up your head and open your eyes saying, Lord, I need you. You ever been that place in your life? Some of you are that place right now. Some of you are in a place where all you can do is is reach up. I've been there and I plan on, you know, realizing I'm going to be there again. It's not a place you go voluntarily. It's a place God takes you in His sovereignty to teach us aspects of worship you won't learn any other way. Amen? Those of you who have been there are saying amen. Those of you that haven't yet, you will. And you will learn. And so sometimes the best thing you can do, whether it's while we're singing or on your own, is go out. Now, this is where the golf course... The, 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 the field is a good place to go. I've stood in parking lots and just lifted up and wailed and cried and said, Lord, I'm at a loss. You've got to come through. That's worship. It's called lament. As you go through the Psalms, prayer is so often associated with the lifting of hands. We so often associate it with praising. It's both. And and, and I could give you the Psalms. I won't read through them because of time. But throughout the Psalms, it's the idea, God's in heaven and I need Him. So I reach up to Him. God's in heaven and I need Him to come down. So I'm showing my reception of Him, right? Praising God. It's so much in me that goes up to Him. And again, we talked last week, or whenever it was, 
about personalities and differences. And, 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 and so, again, you can't judge how someone's worshiping by the outward appearance of their body. That's, it's, it's an inaccurate way because ultimately where's worship come from? The heart. But I would challenge all of us, even the most introverted, you don't have challenged extroverted people on this, but the most introverted of us, to allow what God is doing in your heart to express itself in your body and maybe doing some things that you aren't necessarily comfortable with. Notice, it's not in Psalm 134, but it is in the Psalms. It is in the Bible, dancing, clapping, shouting, and even laying prostate. Am I saying that right, or did I just say a medical? Did I just say a medical condition? Don't lay that out, okay? Just lay your, just lay your body out, okay? Just lay your body out. Oh, Lord. Well, everything's supposed to be involved, you know. It shows exuberant joy. And it shows, and it shows humble desperation, let me tell you. It shows. I've got a friend that's got that issue, and let me tell you. It put him on the floor. It did. And he cried out to the Lord. He did some serious worshiping during that time. Uh, and I, you know perversely, uh, you know, watched as it, as it took place and said, wow, I don't want to go there, Lord. Well, when we took Amber a couple weeks ago to John Brown to check out that college, we uh, were at the student-led worship they have on Sunday nights. And, and it was very interesting as they ended the worship. We were up in the balcony and they ended the worship and they said, and I forget how they said it, they said it very well. And they just basically said, now we're going to respond to the message and, 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 and basically take whatever bodily you know, uh, response that you want. Now, of course, I, you know, we're checking the place out. So I'm in the balcony. I'm like, well, this is going to be interesting. What's, you know, what's going to happen? Well, nothing happened, you know, out. But, but I thought that was cool. You know, the idea of, hey, respond, respond physically. Now, there, this needs to be God, God prompted, not man prompted. All right. So, if, Jerry, if you get the lights, uh, here, here's how not to physically respond. Uh, at God's worship. Foolish virgins in will find they have here been left behind when they're empty vessels and the left for me. Watch a guy pacing in the back. They awoke themselves to try for they left some more to buy that lady concerned about something fun. I'd be concerned about more. Foolish Guy doesn't even stop. Oh. All right, that's enough of that worship. All right, now. 
the, when he jumps in the pool, there's a guy sitting there in the overflow. That's this guy gets up because he just got soaked on the back of his. Okay, I don't even know what to say about that, but hey, that's, that, that that takes hanky to a whole new. All right. Well, there you go. That's not what we're talking about. Or right. how long do we worship? How long do we worship? That's how. How long? How long do we worship the majesty of His glorious presence? Well, the answer to the question is found in the first last verse of the song. So if you look at verse 1, it says, Behold, bless the Lord, all servants of the Lord, night in the house of the Lord. Look at the last song. I'm sorry, the last verse. May the Lord bless you from Zion. And here's, I would put that together and say, here's how long we worship the Lord as His gathered people. Until the day dawns and the King has come. Until the day dawns and the King has come. We worship until the night gives way to the dawning of the morning star. How long do we gather as God's people? How long do we show up, sing out, kneel down, lift up? We do way to the dawning of the morning star. It says, we who serve by night. Now, they're talking physical night, but it's emphasized in this verse. And it's emphasized as we come to the end of the Psalms of Ascent for a reason. He's telling us, I think, because when we go to the New Testament, we know that the night is the age. Christ has come. The morning star, the day star has come. And, and the end times are here. We're in the night, but we're people of the light. And that's why we gather, is so that people can identify us as His gathered people. That's why we need to scatter and worship, because people live in darkness, and we bring the dawn of the new age to them. All throughout Scripture, Christ is called the bright and morning star. He's called morning star, even in the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible, nearly the last verse of the Bible. Why don't you turn there? Revelation 22, 16. Revelation 22, 16. Because in Revelation 22, 16, we finally come to our end of our journey to joy. Christ has come. The kingdom has come. The new creation has come. How does Revelation twenty two sixteen end? Very interesting. I, my angel, to testify to you these things for the churches, the gathered people. I am the root and the descendant of David. Remember, these last few Psalms have been Davidic. The bright morning star. We serve and worship in the night, and sometimes the night gets dark. But we serve and we worship until the morning star, the day star, comes. Amen? Amen. And look at verse 17. How do we respond as God's spirit, the, uh, God's people? The spirit and the bride say what? Come. Come. And let the one who hears say what? Come. Come. And let the one who is thirsty do what? Come. Come. And let the one the water of life without cost. Folks, that's why we worship, and we worship that way until He comes. So how long do we worship His majesty, glorious presence? The night gives way to the dawning of the morning star. In fact, 
Certainly, you're in Revelation. Turn to Revelation 2, 24 through 29. Revelation 2, 24 through 29. Here's Christ again speaking to the churches, speaking to us in this time of night, night and darkness, saying, worship me until the night gives way. Listen to what he says, Revelation 2, 24. But I say to you, the rest who are in Thyatira, who do not hold to this teaching, that is, who hold to true teaching, not false teaching, who have not known the deep things of Satan, you've kept yourself pure to worship, as they call them. I place no other burden on you. Nevertheless, what you have, hold fast until I what? Till I come. He who overcomes and he who keeps my deeds until the end, to him I will give authority over nations. Where? In the kingdom, the millennial kingdom. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron as vessels of of the potter are broken to pieces as I also have received authority from my father. And then look at verse 28. And I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says. The bright and morning star when he comes will give kingdom life and a kingdom position and kingdom authority to those who worship Him. We worship until the advent of the King and His kingdom. I like how Psalm uh, verse 3 ends. It ends the whole Psalms of Ascent. May the Lord bless you from Zion. Listen, one day Christ is going to come to the new Jerusalem. The new Jerusalem is going to come down. Christ in His resurrected, glorified body is going to be there and He's going to gather us together and we're going to do these things. We're going to kneel, shout, dance, clap. We're going to do all these things in the presence of the Lord. Now, I want to end with this illustration from the early church and it's this uh, picture that uh, Audra is going to show us. This is the temple Under the Old Covenant in Psalm 34, here's where they were going. The journey to joy would end at this temple. And out here you had the court of the Gentiles. They they were the farthest from God. They couldn't get near the Holy of Holies. Then you had the court of the women. They couldn't get... As they could get close, a Jewish woman could get closer than a Gentile, but not as close as a Jewish man. And you had the court of Israel where only the men, the Jewish men could come. And there is the Holy of Holies. But listen, Christ has come. Christ has come and he's the temple. And now his people are the temple. And so when Christ came and the church was born in Acts chapter 2, you had all these people 3,000 plus people, where were they going to gather? Because God's people always gather in God's place. Well, you know where in the book of Acts, the people gathered all, you know, where, you know, no house was going to hold 3,000 people. They gathered on what is called Solomon's Portico, which on the other side of this wall, which by the way, this is the eastern wall, this is the wailing wall that still stands. That's the part of the temple that still exists, that Jews go still praying to, not realizing that their Messiah has come, and this it's colonnaded, and there's colonnades, and there it's covered. And so it was covered from the sun, and, and 3,000 people could gather there, and so they're constantly gathering on sun on his porch. Now, why did they do that? Well, first of all, it goes back to God's presence, God's people, and God's place. That was the only place 3,000 people could gather, right? And, 
and they had come out. This, this, this was the only place that 3,000 people could gather. Place. Also, people. This was the only place that Jew, Gentile, male and female in Christ could all come together. And so they're coming out of the old covenant. They're coming out of that separation of Gentile and Jew, male and female. They could all gather. The Gentiles could get, they could all gather. So God's place, God's people. But I think the biggest reason they gathered there was God's presence. Because do you realize here's the entrance of the temple where, and this is all facing east. Where is Christ going to come back? He's going to come back in the east. The sun rises in the east. And Christ is going to come to the Mount of Olives and split that uh, mountain in two. And he's going to walk and carry. I believe that the early church met there because they anticipated Christ coming. They gathered in unity. They worshipped his majesty as one gathered people in his place, as his people. And they always kept one eye to the east. Amen. Now, obviously... The church can gather wherever. The temple has been destroyed and all that's left is this eastern wall. But wherever we gather, whether it's in China, whether it's in Mongolia, whether it is in South America, whether it's right here in Kansas City, urban, northland, suburban, it doesn't matter. Where God's people are gathered, we gather in one place as God's people in Christ with one eye to the east, always saying... Come, come, and then our journey to joy will be complete. Amen? I mean, I hope this encourages you. I hope this encourages you. We have an awesome God. We're His people right now in His place, this place, gathered in His presence. Now let's worship Him. Amen? Amen. Body, soul, and spirit. Let's sing out. Let's, let's have the people around you upstairs look to you and say, man, they're singing extra extra well and 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 tyler hold back the tendency to want to run up that aisle and take that shirt off and throw it at your dad don't do that don't do that let's pray let's pray father we come uh we're humbled and we're convicted and if we're all honest in our hearts we have some repenting to do uh lord we fall so short of that which you have made available woman young old doesn't matter what country, what language. Lord, you have made a way in Christ Jesus in this place to worship you. May we not be distracted by technology. May we not be distracted, though we come sometimes with burdened hearts. And I've been there, and I know most of us have, where we sing, though there's pain in the offering. But Lord, we offer anyway. We gather anyway because we know there's the mountaintop and another valley and another mountaintop but lord we're always going further up and further in till that day when the new jerusalem comes and we all are gathered together to him his presence dwelling with his people in his place the new creation come lord jesus come in your name we pray and god's people say amen Amen. All right, let's worship.